a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Well, welcome back, my friends. Josh, how are you today? You know, I'm doing pretty good. I got a drink in hand. I'm ready to go. It's a nice summer day. Fantastic. My voice is tired. It continues it to sounds be, tired. It continues to be very hot here in Billings. And I've been grocery shopping and I've been running all over town and I'm just, my voice is feeling it. But other than that, I am in great spirits because we have our friend from the Into podcast, Mrs. Uh, Tracy Falkenberg on the show. Tracy, welcome to Ravel. Thank you. Hello, everyone. The cotton candy queen herself has arrived. I'm very excited for this. Um, yes. Does that nickname just come from the fact that you love cotton candy? <laughs> yes. Ever since uh, I was a little girl, uh, I love cotton candy. And when my grandmother would bring the groceries home from the grocery store, she would always bring a treat. And it was either Cracker Jacks or cotton candy. Wow. And so even when Marv and I were uh, dating, um, actually, we didn't really date till the last month of my senior year, and he was a junior, but uh, if we went to any circuses or anything like that, I always got excited about cotton candy. <laughs> wow. I, That's amazing. I haven't thought about Cracker Jacks in so long either. I know. It's like one of my sweetest memories of my grandmother. I love that. That's so good. Yeah. Uh, if anyone listening has listened to last week's episode, you may have noticed a little Easter egg. She mentioned Marv. This is Marv's wife that we're talking with today. Yes, I'm the lucky one to be married to Marv. Yeah. And you are also one of the hosts of the In Two podcast. Uh, would you mind telling us a little bit about that? We've already heard what it means to Marv, but I'd love to hear your perspective on what it means to be a part of the In Two crew. Well, I was probably the most reluctant party um, because I didn't feel like I was up on all the current topics and all that. But the Into podcast allows us to continue ongoing uh, relationship with uh, our son and his wife and Kevin and talk about things that are really pertinent to their lives. And it keeps us young. So that's why I like it. I'm relational. So I'm doing it for the relationship. Oh, I love that. Could you explain why, why your son and your daughter-in-law's last name is different now? Because <laughs> I, th I think we failed to explain that on Katie's episode. Oh, well, it's because they, uh, Alex has always been an outside the box thinker and he liked the last name Congrove and thought, is it really fair for me to make Katie change her name totally to my name? So 
they decided, hey, let's combine the two names together and make it into one, which is even more representative of them, you know, as a married couple. So they combined the names to Falcon Grove. This is powerful. Now, I love this. I'm a little more traditional. <laughs> <laughs> so this is how my son like pushes me a little bit mm. and uh, makes me think outside the box a little bit. But I actually decided to get pregnant again with him because I really wanted a boy and I wanted <laughs> to give my <laughs> husband's father <laughs> A grandson that would carry his last name and oh man, oh, wow, <laughs> yeah. oh no, heartbreaking, so, heartbreaking. <laughs> but I, I realized, you know, there's some things that we think are so important, mm. and when we're real traditional, and what is most important? What is most important is that they grow together as a couple. And that their lives are exemplary of bonded lives together, yet individuals. Wow. So I had to adjust to that. I love that perspective. Respect. That, that is great. Yeah. I guess another bit of history for the group is that Tracy knew me when I was an infant. Yes. Because we were basically neighbors. Oh, wow. When I was yeah. just a baby, just a little one. Yep. And now we're full circle, like however many years later. This is this is a delight for me. Yeah, it's crazy. And I cannot wait to see you again in person. I know. Come October, yes, we are going to spend some time together. And I'm very yeah. excited for it. Yeah, it'll be awesome. Um, Tracy, since you are our guest this week, well, really a guest host, uh, what are you drinking this week? I'd love to hear. I really like, mojitos are my favorite drink. Uh, my favorite mm. alcoholic beverage, mm. but I'm not drinking a mojito. I really like the lime cavita because it it's carbonated and it kind of reminds me of a of a mojito. So I uh, my husband likes to just put a little mixer in with the cavita drink, and that's what I'm having. Oh, I love that! It's very refreshing. That's smart. Well done. I have cracked open a blonde ale from Jeremiah Johnson Brewing Company here in Montana. And it's delightful, especially for summer. Yum. Josh? I threw together like a combination coffee and sparkling lemonade. I did end up sweetening it a little bit. The sparkling lemonade was a little on the bitter side, like <laughs> paired with the coffee especially. Yeah. So now that I put some stevia in there, now it's pretty good. <laughs> the stevia. Yes. What? Yeah. A, I just watched, you, you know that scene in The Office when Michael Scott is like, pouring sugar into the open can of Diet Coke he has. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the image I just got of, <laughs> of what you're doing. I have never heard of coffee and lemonade. Is that what you said? Yeah, but you've probably drank an Arnold Palmer before, right? Um, I have. It's not my favorite. So oh, okay. It's, you probably it's, won't it's, love it's, this then. Yeah. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> I like it. I'm into it. I'm, I'm going to try it. Now that you uh, said that, I mean, I'm open-minded. I'll try it. It is very refreshing. I recommend doing like a cold brew or like coffee that's already been chilled mm -hmm. versus like hot coffee and lemonade. I have not tried that. I can't yeah, recommend that. Yeah, that sounds gross. <laughs> I have done essentially the same beverage, but I, I pulled the espresso directly over ice and then put, uh, put lemonade on it. 
that was successful. That was like an iced mm. lemonade Americano kind of thing. Hmm. Tried all sorts of things. Josh is probably, I can't say rolling over in your grave because you're not, <laughs> not with us anymore, but I don't know how offensive that sounds to you as a barista. No, I've heard of many worse things. I once heard of a barista who mixed cilantro with espresso, but we won't talk about that anymore. Oh, that was me. I did that. <laughs> it was you. <laughs> now, I would try that. Yeah. I love cilantro. No, no. It was cilantro. And it was muddled cilantro in lime juice and espresso over ice. And it was wonderful. Really? Yeah. I, I found it good. Josh is offended by it, but we'll see hmm. what we can do. All right. Tracy, with your presence here on Ravel, I'm I'm curious to find out where you would like to take our conversation today. So I guess this is this is just us opening up the floor. Where would you like to start our raveling conversation? Uh well, I can talk about what effect it had on me when Marv began to start changing the way he thought about things that he had always been taught, the beliefs that he began to question, uh, such as like the literal interpretation of creation, things like that. So I can talk about that and what effect it had on me and then how that has kind of progressed. Absolutely. Yeah, that sounds interesting. For for context, if people haven't listened to Marv's episode, how long have you two been married? Uh, we've been married for 39 years. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that, that's a long time. That's the dream right there. I love this. We we really did grow together. Like I I love our love story. So mm. uh, Marv is a he's an amazing man, but he he was a year younger than I was. We got married young. He was 18 and I was 19. Wow. So we really literally grew up in a lot of ways together yeah. after we got married. Wow. Yeah. So I imagine like growing up in one context, incredibly early twenties, maybe just late teens, even you have mm -hmm. one idea of what your faith means to you and what it means to your marriage. And then just one chink in the armor starts changing things. Yeah. And actually that context is really important to understand why I was so affected the way I was when he began to change some of his beliefs. Um, I came from a broken home. Mm. It greatly affected me as a child growing up. Uh, I was raised in a really legalistic uh, church, but it was it was legalistic, but it wasn't all bad. Like I I had a lot of great community. Being raised that way, my grandfather was a song leader. There's so many wonderful memories as a child growing up in that church, mm. and it taught me to like really study my Bible. You know, when I was growing up, we didn't have children's church, so you sat in the sermon, and because I was one of those kids that was a pleaser, I would take notes. So I learned mm. my Bible really well because I sat in sermons. And when I grew up, it was Sunday morning church, Sunday night church, Wednesday night church, and you didn't miss or you felt like you were going to hell. Now that's not very healthy, but wow. that's what a huge part of my life it was. Hmm. And I went to a Christian college that was also founded on that same denominational belief, even though they would call themselves non-denominational. Uh, 
it was fundamental conservative Christian church. Wow. Uh, I can name the church, but I I don't really want to put a negative spin on anything, so that's no. why I'm careful. Yeah, we don't need about to. About not actually naming the church because I still have friends, you know, who go to that church and I am sure that in a college type town, the church has evolved somewhat in a lot of things that they were extremely legalistic on that I I would assume They've backed away from that a little bit. Mm. But coming from a broken home, I always thought it was because my dad didn't go to church with us. And I thought it was because, you know, the great gulf between them is what caused maybe their marriage to fail. Like Mm. now I know that that's not totally the case, you know, but as a kid, you see things from your own perspective. So that even influenced me when I was dating Marv, his family were all Christians. But I told him, you have to convert to my church or I'm not going to marry you. So his whole family converted to my church. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now it didn't it didn't stick. Sure. After a number of years, they like saw through a lot of the legalism and mm. did not agree with it. So they did end up not attending that particular I wanna say denomination, but they always resist that. But you know what I mean? That denomination, mm-hmm. they didn't attend that church anymore. Right. Which I'm I'm actually glad. That was a very good thing. But this is to give you background of how important spiritual beliefs were to me and how important it was that Marv and I were unified because Mm. I thought if we weren't unified, our foundation would crumble. Mm. Yeah, that is an incredibly easy message to internalize. I remember hearing the same things when Dixie and I were dating in high school. I guess I'm kind of on the uh, the young married team. I got married when I was 20. Dixie was 23 on our wedding day. So I'm definitely, you know, I'm six years into that marriage, this marriage. I make it sound like as if I have more in the future. <laughs> it's in the present. <laughs> right. But um, yeah, this experience of growing up together and and definitely coming from a context that like we did a lot of talking, even in our premarital counseling about making sure we weren't uniting ourselves to someone only to find out that we were unequally yoked was the term. Right. You know? Right. Yes, that was that was a term that was uh, used widely. Wow. Yeah. And, and it was used a lot, especially when I first started dating her because she was her, her family is Mormon. So that was especially concerning for my youth leaders when we started dating. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Why is it that that phrase always gets used for how partners line up in terms of belief and worldview when mm. the verse doesn't even mean that? Like, I've always been confused about that. Because that's how we control people. <laughs> yeah. hey, hey. It's a convenient there it is. interpretation, I think. Like, it's easy to just read that into it. Because, well, like, well, oxen come in pairs when you yoke them up in the first century. So you must mean other pair bonded relationships, you know? Right. Mm. But, like, at the same time, I can recognize that there would be tension if a couple had differences in belief and certainly major differences in belief and like i don't think that that's something that i've encountered i think that that's maybe something that both of you have encountered before 
Cause like I, Tracy, I'm 27 and mm-hmm. I'm not married. I'm, I'm seeing someone seriously, but I don't think I've reached that like crossroads of, Oh, my partner believes something very differently for me. And I don't know what to do about it. Like, do you feel like you were in that situation with Marv? When it, well, initially, yes, because the particular, if you're asking about early on, yes, because the mm. church I attended believed that only people that believe like them were going to hell. Baptists were not even going to heaven because they didn't Whoa. have it down right. Like you had to be fully immersed, water baptized. You were baptized for salvation. Like you weren't baptized mm. just as an outward sign of an inward faith. Mm. You literally were not saved until you were completely dunked under the water and, you know, confess Jesus as Lord. So mm. the pastor and other people from that church. You know, and the teaching that I had, I I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if my husband's family was saved or not, because they mm-hmm. their theology wasn't just like that. Now, you know that I've stepped. Once I stepped back away from that, it's absurd to me now. Mm. But when that's how you grew up, it didn't seem absurd. I thought it was. I'd see it in the Bible, and I I could defend it. You know, by scripture. So it never occurred to me that I was, uh, I don't know. It Now it just seems so self-righteous wow. to think that. I even told when I was a girl, my mom worked at a bank and one of the loan officers there, I think he even might have been the vice president of the bank at the time. He He was a Christian. I think he might have even been Baptist. And I was trying to advertise our church revival. You know, that was back when you would have these week-long revival meetings and you would invite people to go. I invited him to go to our revival meeting when he was actually an elder in his own church. Mm. (laughs) Bold move. I mean, (laughs) but, you know, I mean, I had such a heart for God and for doing what what I was told was right. I honestly didn't know he was an elder in his church. Now, my mom was so embarrassed that I did that. But I'm embarrassed now when I look back on it. Mm. But I can forgive myself because it was, you know, it was because I had a heart that thought I was doing the right thing. Mm. I mean, I feel like I've been in a really similar situation with that in terms of like street evangelism. I, I think that's a really interesting feeling that I don't know if it exists outside of a religious context where you like you feel so strongly that you're doing the right thing and then you look back on it and you're like that's crazy that i felt that way right or not even necessarily that it was like morally wrong to do like i don't know if it was necessarily abusive the times that i felt like the moral obligation to force someone to like repeat the sinner's prayer or something like that but uh, like I can look back on it and think that, wow, I definitely don't feel that like social pressure anymore. Mm. Right. And like, we didn't even believe in the sinner's prayer that you didn't get saved by the sinner's prayer. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It was the baptism, right? It was fascinating. The, like you, I mean, like you had to go down to the front of the church and you had to profess to everyone out loud 
you know, that you believe that Jesus was the son of God, Mm. you know, that he was going to forgive you. And then you went up into the baptistry and you were baptized in the name of the father, the son and the Holy ghost and dunked under the water completely. Wow. If you didn't get dunked under all the way, or if you got sprinkled, you still were not saved. Mm. You had to do it right. Mm. So was this the mental and spiritual frame you were in when Marv started his, uh, for lack of a better term, like deconstruction process, or had you evolved yourself to some point before things started in your marriage? No, I I had begun to evolve already. Mm-hmm. Uh, we once we left Texas, where we went to a Christian college there, we came back to Boulder so that Marv could attend uh, the school in Boulder that was, it was environmental design is what he ended up getting his degree in. And we started going, I think, to a first Christian church. And I'll name these churches because mm. they're fine. I I don't have anything negative to say, right. and it it kind of shows the evolution, uh, you know, of our beliefs. Oh, I'm sorry, I need to back up. No, we we attended the same church. I want a brand. Maybe I'll call it a brand. I don't know what to call it. Uh, in Boulder. No, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, we attended the same church brand in Boulder that I grew up in. But the legalism became too much for us and for me. I began to kind of crumble inside mm. where I knew that I couldn't live up to it. it. It it was like always feeling like you were failing. So it, it, it it's that type of thing where you almost felt like you had to ask for forgiveness every single night before you went to bed. Or you weren't sure. Mm. I was never secure in in feeling like I was saved from day to day, even though I would profess, oh, no, Jesus's blood is what saves me. You know, what Jesus did is what saves me. I never felt secure in that from the time I was a little girl. Well, I would say when I when I became very aware of my own depravity, you know, as a person Mm -hmm. that I couldn't measure up, that's when the insecurity began to develop. Mm. So, so what we did is, is we began to evolve just as a couple and talk about these things. And we both reached a point where we're like, we just can't keep doing this. So we tried out a different church and it was a first Christian church and they actually had instrumental music and the, the worship was, so impactful to us we hadn't been able to worship like that for a long long time so that church we attended for i don't know how many years it was maybe like four or five years and that is when our faith began to evolve because like we stepped out of the other church and their theology and this first christian church wasn't that much different but they had instrumental music and it just seemed a little less legalistic. So it kind of, it's kind of like we had room to breathe. So we grew there just in our, I don't know, in our views of, of worship and spirituality. 
And that was a really good place for us. And then we moved from Boulder to Brighton. We didn't have much money at that time, but there was a special housing program and Marv was able to think outside the box for us. And we were able to get a house in Brighton, our first home. And so once we were in Brighton, Marv, I can't remember how he even came to find out about the church that our kids were raised in, but it was through a Bible study. And I remember through this Bible study that he started attending, he would come home and tell me stuff that they believed, and I was freaked out. Oh, oh, Oh. okay. So it's always Marv that's like... (laughs) thinking differently and kind of pulling me along. But he would tell me all the stuff that he was learning, and it was different than anything I had ever heard before the approach. There was dispensationalism um, in the way they approached the scriptures. They didn't even believe in water baptism. Mm. So for me, that was like, Oh my gosh. I thought we are. It's like literally the other extreme. (laughs) It was the other extreme. So I thought we are going to go to hell for sure. Oh, Oh. And I can remember feeling panicked and praying to God because I didn't join this Bible study. Marv would just come home and tell me stuff and tell me how much it was impacting him and how all of this made sense and the way they viewed scripture made sense to him. And so. I would pray to God. I would say, God, if this is not from you, like make him lose his job. I don't care what has to happen to us. You have to get us out of here. Wow. So that's how desperate that I felt at that time and how afraid I felt. Mm. Because I was was like, is this a cult? Like, I don't even know what this is. Right. Because growing up, I grew up in the same church. I went to college. At a university now, it's a university. Yeah, I think it was a university then, too, that, you know, had the same theological beliefs. So that's what I was taught in Bible when I took Bible. I never stepped outside of that much, except for when we, you know, went to a first Christian church. And that was just a little bit different. So, yeah, this Mm. was extreme. And what was funny is the teachers... At this church, when we finally decided, the Sunday I I finally said, okay, we'll go. We'll try it out. I thought it was going to throw up. That's how affected I was. Wow. Wow. But I I thought, I'll tell them what we believe. And I was bold because afterwards we talked to them and I told them, why don't you believe in water baptism? I mean, I was like quizzing them, not, not mean, but. I wanted them to know, like, I am checking out your beliefs here because I don't want to get led down a path that's not good. Mm. And actually, they thought that I wasn't saved because they thought that I was trying to be saved by works because my water baptism, the way I thought of it, was actually a work that saved me. So they questioned my salvation. I had never had that happen before. (laughs) Oh, man. I don't know if I've ever had that happen before either. That's interesting. Yeah, it was very interesting to have the tables turned on me where I then had to question myself and think about that. And the more I thought about that, 
And the more I open myself up to these people, my experiences told me these people are definitely Christians. Mm. I can see the fruits of the Spirit in their lives. Mm. It's like my the Spirit in me attested with the Spirit in them, and I could not deny that. So this is one instance where it's like my experience had to override my theology. Mm. Ooh. That's a great example. I loved the way you said that. I did not grow up that way. In fact, your experience was never to override your theology. Right. The way I grew up. That was huge to me. And that's why, like even now, when I think about my faith and my journey, I don't feel like deconstruction is like a word that I embrace because of it, because... Mm. I've had too many experiences where I feel like God reached down to me in just getting me through these different things that I will remodel. I, I'll, I'll, I'll mm. remodel my spiritual journey, but I don't know, deconstructing it feels, it's just the way I react to the word. It feels too extreme to me, oh, I guess. Yeah. Sure. But I think it, that it's like a word that hits everybody differently. So it's not that I think it's a bad mm -hmm. word at all. It's mm. just that it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it fits me. Wow. I, lo I love how much space you hold for people who identify with it and being someone who doesn't identify with it. Like the, I don't know, the, there's a kindness that I hear in you the way you talk about that. Yeah. I love through, through all of the story you've told us so far. I just, I love this. I can sense that you just have a desire to keep people connected and look for like places of connection with other people. Right. Um, yes. Very much sounds like a drive for you. Even the way you talked about into at the beginning is like, I'm here at the table because I love the time I get to spend with these people and I value us spending time together. Yes. And I think for a person like you, I, I would imagine there's a lot of fear involved when people around you start like full on deconstructing, identifying with that word, like, uh, like Marv with evolution. I think Alex even told me on his episode of no normal people that there was like a, a, a famous moment between you two where something like you are not the person I married was the, Oh yeah. I have that in my notes. I was going to talk about that because oh. it's not my proudest moment. Oh sure. Mm. Well, I'm sorry to give the spoiler, but I'd love to hear part of that story too. Yeah, so after we began attending um, the church that my kids have been raised in and that my grandkids now attend mm. um, and that we still attend also, although not not as frequently, um, the pandemic has, you know, changed a lot of stuff for us in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. But it was after that and attending there and then feeling the rejection that we felt from the church I grew up in when we would go back there uh, before people knew that we had stopped attending that particular brand of church, they would always ask Marv to pray. It was a smaller church. So it was almost like an honor, you know, when you visit, mm. they ask you to pray. Mm. Um, they stopped doing that. Once they found out we were no longer attending that brand of church, it's, it's kind of like, it's the rejection. It's like you just know that's been taken away now because we're, wow. we don't even think you're going to heaven anymore. So you can't pray. Mm. 
so we'd been through that. So anyway, attending the church that we began to attend that didn't believe in water baptism at all, that freaked out, of course, my mom. It freaked out my grandmother, which broke my heart because like my grandparents were like huge in my life. If it hadn't been for them, I'm not really sure, you know, what direction I would have gone. So that was hard for me, you know, just as a feeler to cause them to even doubt my salvation. But, you know, I I let them just, I just kept thinking, if they just see that we're not going off the deep end, you Mm. know, they'll be okay. So I had already been through that, and I had told uh, my family when they would question, like, my salvation or, like, where I was at spiritually, I would say, you know, if God, if God's grace can cover the worst sin in the world— why can't it cover our differences in theology? And that's mm. what helped me come to the place where I was able to walk through all these changes that that started happening and question myself and be like, my theology isn't what saves me. And if that's what I'm saying saves me, then that is a problem. It is grace that saves me wow Hmm. and yet when my husband went on this journey (laughs) (laughs) and then began to question interpretations of the bible when he began to read the science books to try to prove other family members who were believing in evolution you know it's like he was like i i've got to read up on this i've got to see you know, what's going on with them? Why are they believing this stuff? Well, then the more he read, he finally came to me and he said, Tracy, I, I believe in evolution now. Uh, I've read mm. all this stuff, mm. all the science, and I can't deny what I've read. Mm. So then it's like he was exposed to a truth that he could no longer turn his back on for himself and it began to scare me because he didn't believe if he doesn't believe in a literal six day creation, then where does it stop? You know, because the domino effect, mm-hmm. the dominoes begin to fall. Right. The slippery slope. Right. The slippery slope, the domino effect. So I got really scared. And, and then there were other things that he would question that historically, you know, like Noah's Ark was there a worldwide flood? Was it totally worldwide? And I'd be like, what? You're even questioning that too now? <laughs> you know, and so mm. it, it really did uh, jolt me mm. to the point where we would talk back and forth and it would get heated and emotional for me. And finally, one night we were laying in bed and we had, we had, had this discussion where I was like, how can you believe this stuff? Why are you, you know, I just didn't understand it because I'm not a science person like him. It's not my passion. Mm. And, and you got to read, you've got to read the science, you know, to understand where people like that are coming from. So we were laying in bed and I felt like the foundation of our marriage was being rocked. I'm thinking our core beliefs. What if our core beliefs are are changing? 
So it felt like there was an earthquake. And one night, the fault line revealed a chasm that had ripped right through our bed as Marv lay on one side and I on another. And I told him he wasn't the man I married. And that Mm. is probably the most wounding thing I've ever said to him because Mm. of the, you know, because of the context. Now, literally, neither one of us were the people we first married, (laughs) you know, (laughs) literally, if you look at that, but it was the context I was using it in. And I remember just laying there, both of us just lay silent and the the bed felt like ice and I was terrified. Man. Wow. We're going to take a quick break to say a few thank yous. Then we'll be back to our conversation. Thank you to our generous patrons for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Y'all are such a huge encouragement to us. If you'd like to support future episodes of Ravel, visit patreon.com slash Ravelpod or by tapping the link in the show notes. Thank you to everyone who is giving five-star ratings and thoughtful reviews on Apple Podcasts and to everyone who contributes to our weekly discussions at Ravelpod on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, much love to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color. And thank you to the Highline Media Network for having us as one of their founding podcasts. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, No Normal People. Are you allowed to say? I don't know. Um, well, I'll, I can tell you a little bit. Um, I, I can tell you what you can Google. Right. Um, Perfect. Yeah, I worked on I worked on what's called the uh, Trident Two D Five uh, missile. What? Uh, my job throughout my entire career was to maintain it, um, and then I worked at it. I was in charge of a depot where we uh, took them off and on the submarines. Uh, you're basically moving a three story house. Wow. Out of a submarine and into a onto a truck. So fascinating. Steven, Steven's fate. And now back to the conversation. I think what intrigues me so much about your and Marv's story, Tracy, is that to me, it seems like you have twice gone through the self questioning of, I don't know if this person I love is correct or on the right path. Like first, when you were going to that legalistic church and Marvin, his family came along. And then again, later when he started reading up more on like modern scientific discoveries. Right. And it made him question other beliefs. Mm. And that's really intriguing to me. And I'm just so curious what your take is on like, why do you think it rocks people's relationships so drastically when there is a little bit of a difference? Like maybe, maybe all those people who will quote the, unequally yoked first maybe they were onto something about being on the same page is good sometimes but like i don't know why do you think that that rocks people's relationships so much is it just because we expect it to or do you think there's something deeper Hmm. no i think there's something deeper and even though i could say that icy statement that i made to marv after it happened and i laid there I always do a lot of internal self-talk. And so I laid there and talked to myself and I was like, You're, what, what are you afraid of? I think Marv might mm. have even asked me that. What are you afraid of? Mm. And that was, I, I think it was him actually. And that was the best question he could have asked me. Because when he asked me that question, I said, 
I'm afraid that the foundation of our marriage that we built it on was like loving God and having unity in our spiritual beliefs. And I'm afraid if you go down this path, you're going to leave me because of what I experienced as a kid. My parents were not unified, and I always thought if I could just get my dad to go to church, if he would just come back and go to church with us and love God, him and my mom, you know, could stay together. Now, my past is a whole nother story that's really dysfunctional. So you would have to know that to know why, you know, I had all these things that happened as a kid, but. I was able to identify my deepest fear. And sadly, it wasn't about God. It was about me. Wow. It was that I did not want to lose the love of a man that had meant everything to me. And I had a false belief that, like, I didn't know where the dhammas would end, honestly. I, I, you know, in my mm. mind, I... I just kept thinking, well, what if he doesn't believe this? And then what if he doesn't believe this? And then this? And then how can he even believe that Jesus was really God's son? And, you know, you just, you just keep going like that. And I'm like, well, what's going to keep him wanting to be faithful to me then? Wow. Stephen, I know that you haven't been married for nearly as long, but I know that you have mentioned in previous conversations that there has been some belief tension in your marriage before. And I'm curious <laughs> what your take on that is too. My, our first fight as a couple was over how we load the dishwasher. And our second huh. fight in our marriage was over uh, the global flood in Noah's Ark. Whoa. <laughs> Fascinating. Because I basically, I basically dropped that bomb on her. Uh, what sounds like the same way, basically like I came home all excited from hearing a podcast at work and I was like babe listen to this and I told her and yeah no there was a moment where she's like well if if Noah's not real like what's to say none of it's real like that was like something that actually happened between us and and it sounds like that happened a lot earlier in our marriage than it did for Marvin Tracy like they you, you guys it sounds like Tracy had a lot more time to kind of like build a foundation, any kind of foundation somewhere before things started shifting. But because Dixie and I, like, you know, she, she moved pretty quickly from Mormonism to my church at the time because we were dating. And then when we got married, like we were still going to the same church. So like very much of, of equal theological convictions at that point. But, um, yeah, our second fight was about the same (laughs) about Noah and uh man i just i just can't have more respect or more hmm what's the word for it it's not quite commiseration but there's there's something about tracy's story that's just making me be like oh wow of course that is terrifying to anyone who's in a relationship with someone who's deconstructing or raveling or even remodeling i loved that reuse of of that metaphor tracy for remodeling. Do you think that we encounter that tension in relationships outside of religious context? Like I'm struck between the difference uh, between Hmm. like beliefs and values and that I don't think those are always the same thing. 
Like, I think that a lot of people are attracted to similar values or like caring about the same things in the world. And of course, theology and belief gets wrapped up in there. But Mm. I just, I don't think that they're always the same thing. Like, for instance, I feel like with both of your stories, obviously, the people that you married are not the same people (laughs) that they were (laughs) on the first day you got married. But like, they've changed. (laughs) Right. But like, for all intents and purposes, like, your values are probably the same. More or less. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Values are the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the values behind the belief or something like that. Like, hmm. I was just, I just used this phrase on the whiskey bench on our last episode and I've been really enjoying it. I've been calling them like metaphysical attitudes, which is <laughs> like just the attitude you approach life in, like whether it's like the open handed, open hearted, open minded approach to like, hearing the people you're in relationship with and like holding space for them uh, versus something that sounds like it's in like in Tracy's deeper past where the fundamentalism is like a very like white knuckled, like tight grip on what we know to be true. And if you're not like this, then you're not like us, you know, but that metaphysical attitude can carry over. Cause I think to answer your question, like outside theology, I feel like the next biggest arena where people would probably be threatened by any kind of change in their partner or in family members or in close friends would probably be political values. That's mm. what I was thinking. Like the further and further left I go from being pretty, not like far right in its current context, but like I was fairly conservative growing up and the, the slower and slower I've kind of like slid toward the middle politically. It's definitely revealed to me some differences I've had with people in my past who might still be in that place versus the the people I hang out with now do tend to align like that. And those can definitely be threatening conversations as well when somebody admits that they've been changing. What do you think, Tracy? Yeah, I think I think if we would just realize how much that fear plays into our relationships. And I think I've been so filled with fear of not getting it right for God mm. for so many years mm. that part of my remodeling now is I'm tired of being afraid. Mm. You know, I, I'm just tired of being afraid. I don't want to be afraid anymore. And I don't want to be afraid for other people because the more afraid I am for other people, the more I try to control them. And that's not my job. Mm. Like in scripture, if we really look at what Jesus did, he loved people. He didn't try to control people. And it's like my job would be to spread the good news and love people when they disappoint me, when their beliefs change. Like, I got to think about that. You know, what if they stop believing in hell? Because that's something I'm, you know, I'm questioning that. I'm questioning a lot of stuff. And if somebody that I love hears this, who's concerned about my spiritual well-being, they're going to be afraid for me. And it's like, Mm. I just want to tell them, you don't need to be afraid for me. Mm. Mm. I love that. But we we do get afraid for people. Yeah, of course. Man, I, I hear the the concern in you too, Tracy, where it's like, because you're such a connector type, 
like you've, you've gone through being on one side of it now where like your husband or even your kids, like in being in conversation with Alex for so long, I know like what that must've been like for you is that started and is that continued man that, yeah, that fear of like losing connection. But, but now what you just said was now when I am starting to have similar questions, but more remodeling and, and less like just full on tearing down. Now there's a fear about either disappointing or betraying or causing fear in the other people in your life, like in the other relationships you have. Right. And I think that's, that's a really important thing to point out too, is like, there's, there's so many interconnected nerves we can accidentally pluck on, you know, with the way our relationships work. Wow. Yeah. It, I mean, it's been really heavy. Like if I'm to be honest, uh, I cry almost every day, mm-hmm. wow. which I'm not, I even wondered, I'm like, am I depressed? <laughs> mm. You know, but it's like, I, it's just hard. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I'm de- depressed per se. It's just hard. And if you change your beliefs, a lot of times you lose your community and to lose your community at my age is, that's a scary thing. Yeah. There's the fear again. Of course. Oh, Tracy, what would be, what would be your advice if you had to, if you had any to give to someone who is in a relationship and either they feel like their beliefs are radically changing from their partners or the other way around and they're more like in your shoes where you were with Marv? Um, well, I knew when Marv and I were at a crossroads, I saw where we were and I told myself, we either grow together or we grow apart. Mm. Which do you want? And so I chose to grow together. I chose to step into his world because this man had been through so much with me, mm. loving me faithfully, loving our kids, being the calm in the storms. Mm. He was always the calm. And, and when we came to that crossroads, he asked me the right question. What is it that you're afraid of? And then when I told him, he calmed me once again and said, this journey is making me love you more, not less. You don't need to be afraid. My love mm. is here to stay. And when he did that, that is what I needed. And so I'm thinking, that's what everybody needs. Everybody needs, my love is here to stay. Wow. That reminds me of the way that the the father in the story of the prodigal son speaks to the oldest son at the very end of the story. When he says, I am always with you and everything I have is yours. As a reassurance to the older son, like, I, I, I know you might feel cheated right now because your younger brother just reappeared and now I'm throwing him a party. But like, don't forget that I'm always with you and everything I have is yours. Right. That sits the same way. Ooh, that's very special. And I, I do think, you know, when, when changing beliefs happen, because we talked to other couples because after I decided to step on into this journey, we, you know, Marv would be like, I want to go to this Rob Bell conference. And I said, let's do it. So we, after this kind of this great gulf happened and we talked through it and he found this Rob Bell conference, it was in Laguna Beach and it was a keep, keep going conference. I think it was in 2015. Mm. So we went to that conference and I was very skeptical at that time. 
I was like, okay, I'm going to go with you. But I was trying to protect myself, you know, from going down this journey too. Cause I'm like, I don't want to go down the same path you are on, but I, it's almost like I'll walk with you, but I'm not going to buy into all the, <laughs> the beliefs. I was trying to protect myself from, you know, th- mm. that sort of thing. Right. But I told him, I said, and if we can do something fun. So he's like, okay, yeah, we'll do something fun too. I ended up loving the conference. It was really good for me. Mm, I love that. Yes. (laughs) And once again, that's where sometimes experience trumps, you know, what you thought that you believed. Wow. And you need to step outside and get different perspectives. That's what experience does for you. And then we went to a liminal conference in Ventura, California, and that's where I got to meet Pete Enns. Oh, cool. Jeez. You know, we'd listen to the Gunger music and for a long time. Now, they've changed. Yeah, and, right. Uh, I don't relate to where they're at right now. So there is a sort of sadness about that to me. But mm. once again, <laughs> it's like, uh, I don't, you know. We grow you know, together or we grow apart. Right. Right. Yeah. And, it's, and it's okay. It's okay to decide, I guess where your boundaries are. But in marriage, I just didn't feel like if I was truly saying I wanted to do what God wanted me to do, I I just did not think that God wanted me to grow apart in my marriage. Hmm. So I chose not to. That is so Okay, what do wow. you guys think? How do you think the burden of relationships in that context would be changed if the church at large was somehow able to encourage people to be in community and in relationships with each other despite belief shifts. It would be huge. <laughs> It'd be huge. Cuz I've even thought I you know I grew up in such legalism that I even thought what what would it have been like if if we would have grown up or raised our kids in a different culture where it was more quote liberal? Yeah, do they right. do the same thing? I think the argument could be, yes, they do the same thing. They probably do. And I just don't know it. We all do. And yet there, I mean, I understand that there's times when you have to draw your boundaries of what you believe, Mm. but still love wins. Oh, yes. I mean, it does. Right. Of course. And you have to like pull back and look at Jesus and how he treated people and what he stood for. Mm. But yeah, I I wish that I had been taught that the early church fathers didn't agree on everything. And these are some of the topics they didn't agree on. And here's this church father. He thought this. And here's this church father. He thought this. But instead, you know, what it's become is, no, this is the right theological belief. You need to believe this way. Yeah. And then we separate ourselves from everybody who doesn't believe like us or look down on them. Wow. Yeah, because every camp has its own unified theory of everything but you're not allowed to know about the other ones you know and how they might be in conversation i love that especially even the comment about the church fathers is like studying origin was huge for me in the conversation about like christian universalism when it comes to hell like rob bell wasn't saying many new things in love wins he was just kind of like it was like a layman's version of origins writings in the fourth century yeah um so even that 
Yeah, I think that's a that's a great highlight. Josh, I feel like your question is kind of like, what if I'm gonna use my own phrase again because I like it so much. Oh, go for um, it. Um, but like what if churches were built on more metaphysical attitudes rather than the beliefs that are at the next stage, you know? Like if we if we mm-hmm. have a foundation more in, in like a, a common attitude of that openness and that curiosity and that belonging uh maybe despite your beliefs that feels like a weird word for it but like i know a lot of churches like to say you don't have to believe to belong but like stay there long enough the subtext is kind of like asterisk but you actually do have to you know right but it, but if that was like truly the attitude and like you don't have to believe the same things or you don't have to sign this uh statement of faith to be part of the worship team or you know like all sorts of that that kind of stuff that we get like we get tangled into because we're trying to be, it's like, it's like someone trying to cover their butts in like a business transaction and the contract ends up being like 500 pages because they're trying to think of literally everything that could go wrong. Whereas like a contract that's two or three pages that just says like, we agree to be in a working relationship together and we'll figure things out as they go. That's, I guess that's the the business way of saying what I'm trying to say about metaphysical attitudes that churches are built around you know yeah Yeah. i like that i mean i think in (laughs) i think in theory that sounds really great i just don't (laughs) know (laughs) i just think of human nature and how we are thank you for bringing me out of the clouds but i (laughs) i because i think about that too i'm like what would it be like to have people act like what you're saying But then I realized it's like, but wouldn't we have already done it? (laughs) You know? Yeah, that's true. Well, and like your phrasing about like we either grow together or grow apart and then like bringing up that point about the church fathers disagreeing from the very beginning. I feel like that just highlights so well that Christianity has chosen over and over again to grow apart. Wow. Yeah. In really major ways. And I I think you're kind of right. Like maybe if it actually was possible on a large scale, maybe we would have done it by now. Like, and maybe the, the fact that like, it's so difficult when there's only two people to have a difference in belief, maybe that's just the best evidence that it's going to be so hard to do it as a community. Mm. Unless that is a symptom of trying to do it at too large a scale. And if we kept it to smaller communities, maybe that becomes more Mm. easier to do, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with that. I think that that is much more doable. Because to be honest, Tracy, like talking about these metaphysical attitudes of being open minded, like that's why I absolutely love the Into podcast so much, because so many different perspectives are represented at your table whenever you guys get to talk on mic. And yet I can sense that there's there's common friendship, there's common history, there's there's a way y'all talk to each other that it just it it invites us all into the conversation rather than just like a table full of like policy debates you know yeah it's not argument rebuttal counter rebuttal final arguments it's just kind of a, a an exploration around the table and man so i guess as far as small communities go i i honestly do think the into podcast models that very well oh wow that's awesome I know internally for me, there's risk involved in that. So I, that is, that's the thing that I 
had to evaluate when I finally told Alex, yes, I'll be on the podcast. Hmm. I was aware of the risk that I was taking. And what that risk is, is that maybe my my total view isn't always represented. And I had to be willing to take that risk and allow that to happen and allow judgments to happen if they were going to happen and just realize mm. people won't always get the whole picture of me. And I don't know, relationally, I was willing to take the risk. I think that is huge. I think that's something that churches ought to talk more about <laughs> is the risk involved in being in relationship and being in communities. Mm -hmm. Because that's what we're all trying to avoid, ultimately, if we're just trying to make sure that all the beliefs line up, because it feels much safer to know that we've all checked the same boxes. Right. Wow. Right. There's really not much risk in that. No. But it feels good. It feels comfortable. It feels safe. Yeah. You know? It's comfortable. It's very comfortable. <laughs> Have you two thought about the potential of that situation happening again? Like, whether it's in... Uh, your marriage, your partnership, or a more broad community context, like the chance that major belief shift will happen for you or for whoever you're with. Like hmm. by the numbers, one third of people right now in their lifetime will go through a major belief shift. Hmm. So the odds are good that it might happen again. Like I've thought about that for me. Like right now, I think I still identify as pretty Christian-ish. <laughs> Despite going through some belief shifting. What a diplomatic and, way of saying pretty Christian-ish. <laughs> <laughs> like I still don't, I still have a thing for labels. I still don't love the labels, but for all intents and purposes, pretty I'm pretty Christian-ish. <laughs> um, but like in the future, who knows? Maybe I will be an atheist. Maybe I'll end up converting to something else. Maybe despite all of my background in sociology, maybe I will end up joining a new religious movement. Mm. <laughs> like who knows? Like- mm. I've, I've, I've thought about that. Like, how will I continue to handle belief shift down the road, even though I haven't gone through it in a, in like a major fallout way yet? I actually have thought about that. Um, I, as I hear you talk like that, it's almost like, uh, it, it almost sounded like you might not be in control of your mm. major belief shifts. They're mm. just going to happen. Right. Oh. And so for myself, I have thought into the future and I've realized for myself that belief is a choice. For me, I, I'm realizing it really is a choice and I can predetermine just like uh, in my marriage uh, we talked about it and I said, I don't ever want to say the D word. We're mm. not talking about the D word. Mm. Mm. And so we haven't for 39 years, except maybe one time when I was just really being mouthy and mean, I might've said something like, well, what do you, do you want to just get a divorce? You know, and, and I committed the cardinal sin when I did that. He looked at me like we said. We wow. would never Whoa. say that word. Wow. So for myself, I would just say, I know that I'm in control of my beliefs. I know what, unless some like miraculous, extraordinary thing happens experientially 
to make me shift those beliefs, there are things that I predetermined that I, I'm not letting go of. Mm. So it may sound like I'm not open-minded. I am. I just know for myself, there's things I'm not letting go of. I've also thought about what if Marv hasn't done the same thing and down the road, he does let go of things that I won't let go of. Mm. I've already predetermined that love wins. Wow. Oof. I love that. And even and even if he lets go of things that you won't let go of, it sounds it you both agree that you won't let go of each other despite right. It, right? Right. Wow. I love that. And I think that's a testimony to almost 40 years of marriage. Like that wisdom and that like that emotional intimacy between you two is honestly something I aspire to. I find that really like encouraging. Oh, I, I'm honestly kind of in the middle of one of those moments too. I think with time, my adjustment period, like I feel like it, it doesn't take me as long to adjust as things shift between Dixie and I, like we find our balance faster in our relationship as, as beliefs change or, you know, identity things change. Like, uh, thank God that I had done so many, so much thinking and praying about what it means to be LGBTQ affirming before my partner like came out as bisexual to me. Like that was a huge deal. And I, I, I am so grateful that I honestly would say like, I'm so grateful that the spirit led me through like building a foundation for that and building my openness to that for such a time when she was comfortable to do it. You know, like it was just something that I could just like hold an open hand for and be like, wow, thank you for telling me. I now know more about you. And that just reveals even more. It's like more of a privilege to get to know you. The more she reveals how much she's willing to trust me with who she is, you know? Right. Right. Tracy, I've really loved hearing your perspectives on this. I think it's really fascinating hearing the the thoughts of deconstruction, spiritual emergency, faith crisis, whatever name you put to it, from the perspective of someone who has been married for 39 years and went through it as a part of their marriage. I think it's I think it's really eye-opening and I think I think hearing stories like that make other people going through belief shifting feel a lot less alone. So, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Oh, it was my pleasure. I just want to echo. Wow. I'm just (laughs) going to use some Christianese. (laughs) I'm going to echo Josh just now. And yeah, your perspective is so helpful. I love this back to back effect we have now of hearing Marv's story about like getting in the details too about evolution and science and the way science and faith play together, ought to play together maybe. But yeah, hearing this relational side of your story, I think is very, uh, very encouraging. Like I said, it, it, it's a testament to your guys' uh, strength of your relationship that 39 years later, like you just continue to make that choice for each other. And I think that's aspirational. I like that a lot. I love that. Um, people can find you on the Into podcast wherever podcasts are sold for free, including on the Highline Network website and on Instagram and Twitter at Into Podcast. I guess it's worth mentioning that that's I N. And then the number two. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. Because there's also a word in English 
that's into. <laughs> See, that's confusing. That's the creative thing that, I love that Alex did with into I N number two. Yeah, that's very good. Do we have any final thoughts before we sign off, friends? Yeah, this was this was really good to be able to talk about it because I don't really share my story uh, very often. I don't think I've shared it since uh, the Pete Inns event we went to the Liminal Conference where I publicly shared that. So, wow. That feels like yeah, a big deal a, to share that at a conference. That's brave. Yeah, it was a shorter version, but sure. But yeah, yeah, we shared and it. And now it is etched into the the bits and bites of the internet so you can just tell people to come now listen to this. <laughs> yeah, now it's forever preserved. <laughs> That's so great. Um Josh, would you mind toasting us out of here at the end of the episode with a banger, my friend? Yeah. Oh, sure. With absolutely. a banger. Um, I, I finished my coffee sparkling lemonade, so I'm toasting from my Nalgene right now. Excellent. Um, to, to all of those in marriages and relationships where we find that belief, the waters of belief are shifting from under us, may we go forth in bravery and in love. Welcome to No Normal People. I'm Steven. And I'm Dixie Lee. The internet didn't need another podcast interviewing the same famous authors, artists, and thought leaders. Dixie, my friend Bailey educated me about a word called sonder, and this is the realization that any stranger or passerby you see has a life equally complex, deep, and vibrant as your own. So join us every Tuesday as we talk to the normal people in our lives and hopefully inspire sonder in yours. No normal people. It's like Humans of New York, but a podcast, and in Montana. Highline Media Network. Normal people in normal places.